welcome to the show. Something like that. That's the name of the show. Nav, hey, that is my name. And uh, today, my guest, I have admired her work uh, for a very, very long time. Not only her work as a person, too. I've known her from the first time I was introduced to her was like more than a decade ago on a show that a mutual friend of ours had called The Crib Show. And from then till this very date, I've followed most of her work. And she's an amazing person. She's a wonderful person. And I would call her a role model, like I was mentioning to her off air. And I'm going to bring her on board just to have a chat with her. Who is she? Well, she's none other than Major One. Hey, Major. What's up? How are you doing? Thank you for that very wonderful intro. Ah, uh, thank. It is the truth. Nothing but the truth. Because the first time, the very first time I was introduced to you uh, by Vandal and Skills, uh, that was like, say, about 10 years ago, I think, on the crypt show. I was like, okay, I was just a bit curious. Who is this young lady? And as days go by, years go by, I've been following your work and how you have evolved. And uh, the best part about you is you can, it's hard to really pinpoint which part of the world you belong to. Of course, everyone says Singaporean, but you're here, you're there, you're in, I don't know, Hong Kong, you're in Japan, you're in Singapore, uh, Canada. I don't know, you've been traveling Malaysia. So pretty much you are, I would like to call a world child. You seem to be connecting yeah. the world together through your I mean, music thank, and shows. Thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, I, I was very blessed to have a childhood where I was born in Singapore I grew up in Malaysia for a while. I was living in Penang when I was three years old. Nice I was place. also in Malacca at some point. Then I uh, grew up a little bit in Indonesia too. I was in Singigi. Um And then I, my family moved to Canada. I grew up in Canada. I got my start in the music industry in Canada. I worked in the States, worked in LA and New York. Got tired of Hollywood life. Moved to Jamaica lived there for a little while um, before, you know, at some point my parents were like, hey, like we don't have a daughter. So I come, <laughs> come back to Singapore. But I had such a culture shock for my own culture because I'd been away for so long. Yeah. Um, and currently I am based in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. So I, I back. love Asia. I'm so glad to be here. It's good to have you here because I was amazed. I was just going through a couple of your IG stories and all. It's like, it's so beautiful. It's the kind of life that I would love to live in. You know, it's like, oh man, she's in Indonesia doing shows. Hey, she's in the Borneo Jazz Festival doing shows. She's in Bangkok and then she's in Japan and then the music comes on again. It's like, okay, which, who owns her right now? Which country owns her at the moment? It's like, you can't figure that out, which is nice. And uh, you have, your journey has been an exciting one for the past, at least for the last 10 years, because you are someone that I've noticed that who don't really follow the system. You break the system. <laughs> yes, that's the thing. Because I, I, I like that in an artist because there are a lot of a lot of people who are tend to follow the algorithms or the systems, like, okay, this is how we should try talk, this is how the music should be, and um, this is how the sound should be. You know, but you on the other hand, it's like you have your own set of rules, and it doesn't matter to you. As long as I get my message out there, I get my music out there, my videos and my work out there, that's more than enough for me. Is that it? Is that how you look at uh, your style? Well, I have a bit of debate with myself because maybe I, I'm, I admire the people that are able to identify trends, know the latest thing on TikTok, go, go with that whole movement. And I think that's pretty amazing. Um, I've never been able to do that just because my heart and my soul would just not allow me to. Uh, it might have something to do with, you know, 
my first exposure to music was Peter Tosh that my brother yeah. used to play for me a lot. Public Enemy, um, Black Uhuru. That's uh, a nice so, combo. Yeah, it's very like at a very young age when my cousins were listening to Taiwanese pop music, I was listening to Fight the Power, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that might have had some influence on definitely the musical direction or the type of music I love. But I think um, coming up in Canada, I was the first person that looked like me, Asian face, female, that was kind of charting in the hip hop charts in Canada. So Whoa. I think I had a song called Split Second Time. Uh, mm -hmm. It has a music video that did really well. It was nominated for a Much Music Award, which is like a, a MTV Canada, basically, at the time. So I had this, I was a totally unknown independent artist. My face looked very different from anything else on hip hop. And here I was competing on the top, you know, 10 with Jay-Z and Beastie Boys and all of this Whoa. kind of thing. So I think I learned early on that it was possible to build your own culture and community. And when I went into all the record labels as a, like a brand new artist, very fresh, very green, uh, most of the record labels told me that I wasn't marketable. And okay. I think the reason for that was also because they hadn't has a, had a precedent. Like no one that looked like me or sounded like me had come before. So they had no numbers to compare, market research, none of that. Um, so from there, I just said, okay, well, if I'm not marketable, then I better start really learning the business and learn how to market myself. Okay. And uh, started my own record label at an early time, um, read everything that a lawyer, an entertainment lawyer <laughs> would read and just really schooled myself on the business. And it's, it's been that ever since. Um, so I don't, I don't worry. I am very aware of trends, but I don't worry about it too much. I think for artists and musicians, we should never forget how powerful this thing called music is to affect our mental health, our spirituality, our happiness, and that's that's the place I want to create from first and foremost. Nice, yeah, because Sarah, going back or rather taking picking something from what you just said, I've also noticed that you mentioned in one of your interviews that sometimes. Uh, instead of music that you release is like if you want to focus because your music is a mix of certain tracks usually it's a mix of uh, you have a bit of hip-hop and then you have that reggae elements in it so when you want to market it to the reggae market they say it's not reggae enough and you want to market it to the hip-hop market they say uh, no this is too reggae-ish you know yes. you you always yeah. is that happen does that happen on all in all your music or is it like specific ones or rather like you, when you want to just go out there and just perform, it's like, no, this is a hip hop artist. No, she's a reggae artist. You know, that mm. kind of conversations, does that come out a lot? Oh my gosh. I think it comes up a lot more since I came back to Southeast Asia. Oh. And I think that maybe whether it is that reggae culture here has its stereotypes, right? Like, oh, it's Bob Marley, smoke, smoke, thing, ah, you know, like okay. there's definite <laughs> stereotypes around reggae music. And okay. um, here I am coming from Jamaica where there's food, there's dance, there's literature. Like it's not just that one image of Bob Marley that you see. You exactly. That, that happens a lot here, man. Yes. So I feel like in Southeast Asia, it's easier to pigeonhole uh, things right away, right? Because I guess we have just such busy lives. It's hyper -sens sensory overload. There's big populations. So we kind of tend to take brain shortcuts to be like, Oh, she like reggae. She's like this. Oh, he likes okay. punk. He's like this, you know, like there's definite categorizations. Um, but what I found is coming back to Singapore, 
they're definitely hip hop was already established, right? Hip hop's trending, it's fashionable, all of these things. So I felt like that community didn't need the extra help. And okay. so when I looked around, I said, what does Singapore need? And I saw how stressed out people were, um, how there was kind of a lack of connection because everyone's so busy. So I said, okay, one thing they need is more time and more time with each other. Like not a club where you're just getting trashed okay. and not talking, like places where you can speak. So I founded the Singapore Dub Club um, together with the head of Dub Skanking Hi-Fi. Also another party was doing reggae in Singapore at the time. We came okay. together. And everybody, like, Mija, reggae can never work in Asia. It'll never <laughs> work. It'll never work. And um, when we were doing, I, for that reason, and when I went to sponsors, they were all telling me that, you know, reggae is non-drinking kind of, and this is poor people's music. And it was oh. homeless, homeless beach boy music. I was like, where is this stuff coming from at all? Like, it's a huge culture. The reggae festivals in Spain and Britain and Germany are humongous. Like, where is this coming from? When you listen to Rihanna and Justin Bieber and Ellie Golding, like this is coming from dance hall and reggae culture, you know? Exactly. So as I kind of saw this situation, I'm like, all right. So the business move here is to put all my reggae parties with Atas venues so okay. that no one can say this is quote unquote, like poor people's music or this and that. So we, we did parties with Marina Bay Sands. We did it with Potato Head. We did it Whoa. with uh, Sentosa on the beach. Like I targeted like really nice places. And from there, it just grew and it grew beyond our expectations. And there was a little reggae movement happening in Singapore. And nice. as I began traveling throughout Southeast Asia, um, I definitely got to see how huge the movement is in Malaysia, in Indonesia, especially around ska and rocksteady, ska punk, that kind of thing, you know? Yeah. And I realized that it was just a matter of people. There was never anyone unifying or organizing everyone together. Everyone has their little okay. pods in their communities. And, you know, this Abang does this and this person does this over here. But no one was pulling everyone together to say, hey, this is a movement. It exists. And even though the mainstream industry in Southeast Asia isn't really geared toward a reggae sound, okay. um, the reggae community and the numbers across Southeast Asia have enough in themselves to create their own platforms. So that's what I got excited about. Um, yeah. But I did, the long story short is I released a song called Wait in Vain recently. I, know. I meant it as a pop song. I wrote it as a pop song. And but that's it a, is a beautiful track. Thank you. Uh, it's a stretch for me because I like like super hardcore lyrics or like super <laughs> Rasta vibe, you know? I've also so noticed like, that. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, let's tone it down. We're going to do a pop song. Uh, when I put this pop song out to the industry, a lot of, you know, PR, media, that type of thing said, it's just too reggae, too reggae. We don't, we don't know what to do with this. Sorry. So I was like, I felt very disappointed because in my brain, I had written a pop song and then I was being told, no, what you thought you wrote as a professional artist, as an artist has been doing this for 20 years, you're wrong. Actually, it's not this. It's this, right? So... Um, I had to kind of back up and recalibrate and say, okay, what causes people to be afraid of this genre and not that? What causes people to want to understand or pigeonhole someone as one thing and not something else? So yeah, it's been a cool uh, learning experience. But I think on that man on that matter, like say for example, the, the, uh, going back to the stuff that you've been doing in Singapore, organizing all this event, 
I think when you do something uh, consistently and frequently, it becomes a culture itself by itself. Same thing goes to the music part of it. Um, it's because they are so used to that, being exposed to that certain culture of uh, reggae, like you said earlier, reggae when it comes to it's only Jamaica, uh, Bob Marley, and as a bonus, maybe Sean Paul and Shaggy, that's about it. And that's the furthest it goes. Yeah, and that too. So, so when you have music as such, or rather the culture or events that you're doing, if you're doing it, you're going to do it frequently and consistently and have that right amount of exposure on it. I think that itself will turn into a culture where people realize that, hey, this is another genre. So I don't have to worry about, is it too raggish or too little raggy? You know, that kind of thing. I hope it has more, uh, how do I put it? People will be more exposed to it uh, as time goes by, man. Sure. I mean, I've pondered this and I was thinking either it's because a lot of reggae has very non-consumerist culture lyrics Mm -hmm. in it. And that's like, almost the opposite of this artist culture we have now where we're getting sponsored by products in order to yeah. put things on our social media. And it's it's almost like musicians are being paid by consumerism at, like, at this point in time in terms of the mainstream, right? So it's yeah. the message of this genre of music is directly opposed to what the system needs it to do, I, I, I suppose, right? Exactly. And on the flip side, what you were saying about being repetitious, like being consistent, sticking with it. And I feel like if I had one sound that I stuck with and I continually kept putting it out, I think what people want from me is like boss bitch energy, honestly, just like raps where I'm like, I'll kill you in your sleep. (laughs) I love that stuff. (laughs) As a musician, Um, you also have to evolve, right? You're just kind of going on the same thing for, I mean, 10, 20, 30 years. I've been singing the same song, same tunes. You become very monotonous. So I, I just, like I said, I kind of like your whole style from the day one I know you, I've known you and how your music have ch- has changed uh, in, during that period of time, which is very interesting because it's like I, I get to see Major in different versions as time goes on. It's like, okay, this year I see Major in this form and the next minute I see her in another form, which is exciting. So you keep it fresh at all times. And I, I think that should be the template for a lot of new artists who's coming on board. Prepare yourself, look into the future. Don't just look for now right now and just look at 10 years ahead or 15 or 20 years ahead how you want to see yourself so that's how sure. i like uh, what you're doing yeah there's different models the music industry you could go viral and pop off on one song and never come back again or you could be a career artist that really is enjoying the journey and kind of building as you go down the, that road so definitely and another thing to add on to your journey of course you got involved in the uh, blockchain is that the word for a blockchain or web three <laughs> world, uh, which That's is great. an exciting one. I'm still trying to figure the math on that one, uh, which is taking me quite a while now to uh, get into that. So, how do you get yourself involved in that world, and is it benefiting you more than what it is on the mainstream side of it? Sure, um, it. I refer to it as Web three because you know so much of what we do now depends on social media on the connection through online right now we're we're speaking through online um and it really was actually vandal was the first person vandal and dj lethal skills were the two first people that kind of put the bug in my head and when i tried to look at it in the early days i i think vandal told me about blockchain as early as 2017 yeah, I was like, okay, okay, enjoy your monopoly money. This is just too crazy for me. You know? <laughs> I'm busy, shiny money every day. Um, but in the during the the first lockdown, I was in Johor Bahru, 
Um, I, you know, couldn't tour, couldn't move around, couldn't go many places. So uh, Vandal said to me, why don't you mint some NFTs? I did. It was very successful for me. And honestly, I didn't know what I was doing. But one thing I learned about Web3 is that you could sit down and read a hundred books about it, articles, medium articles, and you'll be sitting there like, what the Ross is anyone talking about? Like, <laughs> what is the vocabulary? What are they referring to? It's actually one of the first, like I'm someone who loves to just read, digest, take notes, and then I know it. But it's okay. one of the one of the spaces where you can't really do that. You need to actually participate in order to understand the weird kind of like way things are. Oh, okay. People go to Twitter spaces to communicate. And that's where a lot of learning happens. You know, people share with one another. How do you do this? How do you develop this in the Twitter spaces? Um, you start to learn like the lingo, the, the places, the marketplaces that are popular. So for me, I think that there's a lot of fear around NFT and cryptocurrencies because my, my mama is always sending me every day the daily article about the scam <laughs> and the scandal and everything about it. For me, I, I approached Web3 through an artist's eyes, right? In a very creative way. Um, I'm not there to trade crypto. I'm there to actually see how can this innovation and technology and the platforms it affords us um, help myself and also my community, other creatives that, that might be stuck. And I think that it's a pretty amazing space. It's, it's anything you need it to be, honestly. I could imagine because there I was looking through uh, some of the stuff that Vandal's been doing. Uh, Vandal is pretty much like the uh, crypto preacher or crypto messiah that's spreading the crypto word around. And he's been doing a fantastic <laughs> job on that one. I must say the platform that he has created, the crypto voxels, the shows, the community. I was just looking at it at the surface of it. And uh, it is profitable for a lot of uh, artists out there instead of just depending on Spotify where you have a billion views and get paid 50 cents. Uh, you know, this kind of thing. So this world is profiting on the business side of it. So, but it is also a question for me as an artist, uh, can you split your music on both sides or do you need to have a focus on only one? Like say, for example, if you are relying on your, your Spotify your playlist or YouTube videos for that matter, would it affect you in the crypto world if that's being available on that platform and vice versa? I, I personally don't believe so. Um, I had the wonderful opportunity to work with Vandal's Dow Records, which is a crypto label. Uh, yeah. First, I was ANRing for the label, and now I'm doing creative consultation as creative director. You know, the branding, all of that stuff. And one thing that I saw was that. Hmm, how do I explain this? Sorry. Um, sorry. Re repeat your question to me again. No, having these two worlds, like exposing your music ah, onto yes. the, like, like Spotify, YouTube, and it would affect the ones in the crypto world. Or the web yes, three I, world. I think that we're in this, like I call it Web 2 and Web 3. Web 2 is like your Facebook, your YouTube, your social media. Web 3 is this like crypto voxels. It's um, anything that is on the blockchain. And I think that we're at Web 2.5. You know, we're somewhere okay. in between. Uh, when I post anything about crypto on my socials in Web2, it's like zero likes. Now I post a selfie, it's like a billion <laughs> likes. You're like, come on, y'all, I'm trying to teach you something. Um, I think one is, they're both feeding one another right now. And something that you can do is, I, okay, number one, I think the most important thing is a shift in mentality, right? Where Web2, okay. we've all been trained for quantity. 
more followers, more likes, more streams, more, more, more. Uh, whereas in Web3, you're really looking at what's a special experience? What is exclusive? Who are my most loyal fans? Um, or who is just interested in a topic enough to really engage with me in a very interactive way? So my example is that in Web3, I could sell three NFTs and make more money than you know Spotify will pay me in a year. Uh, I could make more money off of three people than I could off of the 29,000 people I have on my Instagram. So then it becomes not a question of programming to attract the most number of people, which often is about the algorithm, about the trends, about using hashtags that everyone's using. Now, I guess this world is kind of made for me. Now you can be a very niche, specialized type of artist, but just really be clever on how you find the other like ugly ducklings to come to your pond, you know? <laughs> okay. But in terms of popularity, how does that work uh, in comparison with Web3 and uh, sorry, Web2 and Web3? Because of course, when it comes to uh, Web2, your exposure is completely different. It's masses. You're talking about a huge population of music okay. listeners, or music lovers. But Web3, do you get a sort of, at least to a certain percentage of response uh, for your music as an artist and the popularity for an artist. Do you get that in Web3? Absolutely. What I love more about Web3 is people are, well, they have this mentality that they don't want the Facebook, Spotify world anymore where everything we put out there, everything we create is actually not our own. You just gave okay. me a very clear example of that. You know, <laughs> you, think, you think it's your own video that you're putting out to the world. You think it's your own music you're putting on the world. But there is a fine print on most social media platforms that says if they need to use your, you know, anything you post on their platforms, they're actually licensed to be able to do that. So now for the first time, you have to switch your mentality to say, everything I create, I'm a, that's my IP. I'm allowed to price it. I'm allowed to decide how much it is. I'm decide, I, I can decide for myself how it goes out there. And when people purchase it, you can see it's authentically mine. So okay. I think the switch of the mentality just changes so much. In Web3, Fans are a lot more engaged and when they when they speak to me, you know, they're okay. like, oh, I, you know, on, on, on IG, be like, girl, you look cute. But on <laughs> Web3, it'll be like, hey, I saw that you're very influenced by the Jamaican diaspora, yet you're from Southeast Asia. I was wondering, how do you navigate? That's like really deep okay. questions. I was like, the wow. spot ones, <laughs> And as, as, as an artist, you it's a joy to be seen, right? It's joy that you can resonate and message and someone got that strange, obscure thing that you're trying to communicate. So wow. yeah, it's, it's a very satisfying space to interact in. Nice. Sorry, I mean, this, I don't know how from your music, I just went into this whole crypto world <laughs> because like I said, I admire what you do and I just want uh, the rest of the year world or the music world to understand this this part of the world which is pretty exciting and beneficial for a lot of musicians out there instead of solely depending on uh, uh, the mainstream Web3, especially the upcoming artists. A lot of them complains like, eh, I'm not getting what I need to get. I'm not getting the right, I don't know, the quantity and quality of response. So I think maybe you should get into the Web3 and uh, check that out too. But speaking yeah. of your music, Wait in Vain, that is out right now. It's been released about a couple of weeks, a month ago. And it is a beautiful video. I love the idea that he released it in HD with 60 frames per second, which made <laughs> it feel like as though I'm in the video myself. It is a beautiful video. It was shot in Langkawi, right? Yes, absolutely. I, I, I mean, 
you know, sometimes we admire all these other places in the world. Like, let's go to the, the Caribbean or let's go here and let's go there. And just knowing that you have paradise, like just around the corner here, here in Malaysia. Wow. I've just ex- explored and discovered so many um, unwritten about even places that are just so gorgeous, such rich culture, of course, amazing food. Um, oh, and, my size, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and even to tie in the whole NFT thing. So here's, here's a case study. I like to give practical give advice to creatives you out there. Go right? girl. You so do it. I'm not saying I know I have the answers. I don't have all the answers, but um, here's my experiment. So I put out a song called Wait in Vain. The music video okay. is shot in Langkawi. Right now I'm putting together an NFT, which comes with a digital zine that shows mm-hmm. you, that tells you about the businesses that the venues that we shot the music video at, uh, you know, like uh, my friend, I'm on Groove's place that shows, serves like really nice Ipo Karimi, um, a skateboard bowl built to help keep kids out of trouble in Langawi. Like we shot these different places in the music video. So now I'm going to put a digital zine uh, to share with you the people behind these spaces, why they created these businesses. And if you buy the NFT for this song, you can go to Langkawi and get a special treat from any of these places. So whether that's 10% off a coffee, whether that's like a hug and a smile, whether that's a special workshop. So the idea is as a fan, you know, traditionally we watch the music video, we comment and then like, yay, that was cool. But now you can take your fans and following even deeper and say, hey, do you want to visit the place that we shot this music video at? Because if you do, I'll make sure you have some kind of VIP so that they treat you like Major One when you get there. They, when wow. you show you own this NFT, you'd be like, oh, you're down with that Major One thing. All right, come through, come through. You know, here's an extra coffee. And experimenting with that is like, wow, how do you break that third wall and actually give your fans something that's so, so much more deeper and so much more meaningful and also building as an artist together with small businesses and letting that grow. Sorry, Man, I threw so brilliant. much at you right now. No, no, no. I love it. I, I, this is a brilliant idea. Right? I didn't think of that because I had these conversations and the furthest I went, I mean, something uh, from the past artists that I was talking about um, between streaming music and uh, printing out merchandises of uh, physical copies of CDs and you look into the inlays, but you have taken it to the next level with the NFTs. And uh, the discounts are how you connect businesses uh, to help other businesses at the same time and the fans at the very same time. This is yeah. a brilliant idea. I hope those listening in start doing it, <laughs> start doing the whole thing. I did not see that coming. Well, it's amazing. Eh? That's it, like, there, there's so many different ways that you can use it too. So it's just like how creative you can be with the technology that you're given. I just feel that with the music industry more and more, you know, as AI can even make a song now, you know, I feel like it would be too narrow minded to only look at the music business as a way for artists uh, to grow and flourish. Because right now, the music business is run by larger companies that actually tell you how much money you're going to make on a stream. You don't have a choice in that matter. So when if me as an entrepreneur and as an artist, I don't agree with the business models that I'm given then let me look somewhere else. Like I'm not agreeing with the music industry's business models, but I think restaurants and cafes and F&B are made by music that have vibe and that kind of thing. How can I collaborate with them? Sports, like you can't have sports without some music to rev up people. What are those like? How do we work with them? So I think my whole career has just been about 
how do we continue to innovate um, and build community? Nice. That's a very nice one. I have to look into that. Now, now I regret that I can't sing or play music more. Because I, I could start doing something similar to that. And uh, well, getting back to the music, uh, let's talk a little bit about Wait in Vain. And uh, this one, like you said earlier in the conversation, you mellowed down a lot for this particular track. It's a nice <laughs> chill out vibe going on. And uh, of course, it features Danny Frest. Did I get the name right? Yes. Okay, Danny. Danny's from Indonesia, right? Yes, he is. is he? Surabaya, okay, so, but based in Jakarta now. Nice base. And uh, coming up with this music, whose idea was it for the whole concept of it, the sound of it, and what was it actually all about? Sure. Thank you for asking. Um, a producer named Kevin Perkins, who I knew from my days in Toronto, he has since moved to Trinidad and Tobago. Good idea. <laughs> and starting a, a studio there. So he sent me this beat. And I was like, why does this beat feel so good? You know, it was during the pandemic that I got this rhythm. And I used to be in a very crusty mood, you know, claustrophobic or indoors all day. We see the same people every day. We eat the same stuff. So I would take myself on walks and I would just put this instrumental in. And somehow this instrumental always put me in a good mood. And I was okay. like, wow, it's, it's been a while since I heard like a music could change my mood just like that. So even though I'm known more for like boss bitch energy raps, <laughs> Um, I felt like, you know what, if this is affecting me in such a positive way, why don't I write a song that's very healing and not even healing. I'm not even going that deep. It's more like you feel good. And if you're feeling crusty and you're about to snap on your partner or you snap on your friends, you just put something on like this on him. Like, you know what? It's okay. Santai. Like everything's going to be bro. okay. And yeah, it's not, it's not much deeper than that. Um, other than what I can say is it sounds like a love song, which is like, I don't want to wait in vain for your loving. But in my wanderings around by myself, listening to the song during the pandemic, uh, listening to the rhythm during the pandemic, I was thinking like, why do we ever write love songs to ourselves, right? Like we always prioritize whatever uh, person we have in our lives and that kind of thing. Like when do we, why are we always wait in vain for our own loving? You know, so there's kind of a, low key message in there too where you can just sing this song to yourself and remind yourself that you need some loving nice appreciate yourself for all the hard work you've put in in life and all the things that you yeah. face through yeah, that's yes. a pretty nice song and uh, well it also comes with the exciting bonus which is the contest that's taking place right now and uh, yes. good news is this you are going to get yourself a Shenizer wireless headphones worth 1500 ringgit if you win if you win <laughs> if or when you win, you win. Don't say, I'm not going to say that everybody's going to get one, but when you win the contest. So the mechanics, help me out here. How, what exactly do they have to do in order to win this headphones? So you can check my pin post on my IG, but follow you know the, the basics. Follow myself on IG and TikTok. Follow Sennheiser Singapore because they are sponsoring these amazing headphones. These. Oh. Uh, except Ooh, I'm nice. giving away the white ones, which I, I kind of like the white ones more. Um, oh. <laughs> but they are mobile headphones honestly I've been living in the dark ages I don't use anything wireless for the longest okay. time and when I did I would be on the train taking zoom calls with these because they're built in mics that are like crystal um, and also with listening to studio mixes all my headphones are like bass driven so they're like always too heavy yeah. on the bass these are true like the sound is what it is so Part of this contest came as a result of being told that 
this song was Misha. So I'm like, okay, wait, how do we teach the industry maybe that it doesn't need to be so, you know, limited into categories and be so classified? Well, the best way to do that is get the people to teach it. And I feel like I want music to just be a vibe. How does it make you feel? Did it brighten up your day? Is it attached to a memory? Um, to me, that's the categories of music, not necessarily like it's this and this and this. So for that reason, I'm calling for people to just edit any video to this song. It could be your vacay footage. It could be you like relax one corner with your homies. You know, it could be your favorite cafe and just put put the song to a video that you love and tag me on it. And away we go. And we're going to pick start shooting my videos. Yes, it's gonna please. find the right spot for it right now, guys. I'm clean shave. You just, and, you just uh, sing a remix of it. Your voice is so good. Oh, thank you, thank you very much. It's like remix. Nah, that, I don't think so. I can sing. Maybe I could talk over it. That's the best. Yeah, I like do. a spoken. I don't want to wait in vain for your loving. Ah, <laughs> oh, maybe I'll do that. Oh yeah, that's an idea. So especially okay, okay. Don't be surprised if you see my entry down there. <laughs> but anyway, uh, TikTokers, especially TikTokers, you've been wasting your time on things that not going to reward you. So. I suggest you hop on this one because TikTok videos, all you get is a few likes and swipes. That's about it. So at least put your effort to good use. All those posing and all those dances and all those things, the shots that they've taken. Why don't you use that for this particular contest? And uh, all they have to do is just hit you up on your Instagram, right? Yes, absolutely. Do something the entries. So yeah, I'll put I, the whole I detail. I've the, the contest to my post. Like the first post is the instructions. Um, and I got to mention, one of the entries that came in was a full remix of the song. And this is amazing because someone named Willie Chin, who does he, his whole IG is about how he remixes songs all the time. Okay. So I, I kind of shared with him that like, ah, what is two reggae? I don't know what two reggae means. You know, <laughs> I wrote it as a pop song and he's like, I got you. And he remixed the whole song into what he sees as a pop song. So wow. don't be surprised if like a full remix comes out out of this. I got to check this out, Ben. I definitely, uh, well, this, this contest is going to go on till the 1st of December, right? Yes, but I might actually extend it now because some good stuff is coming in. So I'm please, really Please, please extend it because it gives me a little time to come up with an idea for the video. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but the best thing, thing is after the en after entries are submitted, are you going to reveal apart from the winner and all the entries that came in? Are you going to share that? That would be so cool Absolutely. To see. I mean, for me, I even ask people that enter like, hey, is there something you'd like me to plug so that when I post it on my timelines and share about it, I'd be like, you know, like a uh, singer. I know Bitsu was on your show too, right? Yeah. Uh, she did this awesome video going to the waterfalls and chilling. But after, you know, that post, I also share about her music. She's an incredible vocalist, great songwriter. So I want to show the people behind all of these things too. I mean, that. That's part of building community. That's part of going more than surface level of like, oh yeah, IG, that's hot. Here's an emoticon. I like the way you think. I like the way you <laughs> think, woman. <laughs> it is absolutely fantastic. And uh, remember all the details that you need to know, I'm going to put it in the website. I'm going to share it on my IG. My IG is not so popular, but anyway, the website, everybody visits the website. So every single detail you need to know about it will be available on the website. And this, this podcast will be up on Sunday. Uh, so it shouldn't be very long. It gives you enough time to do it. So please submit as much entries as possible. And the most important thing of all is check out that beautiful video, man. It really, if you have a big screen TV at home, that will be the best experience. 60 frames per second on HD. 
you feel it's like like a 3D video somehow when you just look at the whole thing. Hey, I gotta give the director a shout out. Naeem, he's a young talent living in Langkawi. He's a YouTuber and I love taking a chance on that. He's like, this will be my first music video. I'm like, don't worry, let's go. I got your back. Good job. Naeem, thumbs up, man. Hopefully to see more videos from you coming up uh, on uh, social media and all the other platforms for artists out there. Meja, thank you so much for taking the time and joining me on this chat. It's been a pleasure chatting with you after a very long time. I never really had a chance to do this sort of thingy. It was more yeah. of conversations prior prior to this, but uh, hopefully you don't have to wait for another year or 15 years before the next chat takes place. <laughs> I don't want to wait and wait for <laughs> Nav's interview. <laughs> Is there anything you'd like to add on before we wrap things up? Uh, I want to say that like platforms like yours are so, so important. I'm so grateful that there is this right here because, you know, as I've been sharing throughout this whole interview, even if I'm told by mainstream media, like, hey, it's to this, it's to that. There are people that still love music, that love the culture, that want to see it go far, that want to tell the stories behind it. And it's really us creating these platforms, working together, sharing the the best practices that allows this music industry to flourish. Um, I've always been, I came out of the worldwide underground. Um, yeah. I, I worked at Aftermath and all of these, ma- I worked with Interscope. I worked on the mainstream. So wow. for myself to see the most grassroots of grassroots all the way up to the most mainstream you can imagine, um, my heart is still with the grassroots. This is where the real trends and the innovations are happening. So I don't know. For the creatives out there, have confidence in yourself. You are the innovators. Um, you are. You have the ability to create things and platforms and bring people together to work together on those things. So make hustle your art. Be creative in how you hustle. And uh, sky's the limit, you know? Thank you. Thank you very much. Those are very beautiful words. And uh, well, like I said earlier, you want to know more on how it's done, uh, how things should be done. Well, please do follow Beja on the social media a website, the music, everything you can think of. And you never know, maybe just drop a line and uh, she might be uh, happy to sh- share her experience with you. Not just to go simply ask like, hey, don't simply ask, just <laughs> ask the right questions, okay? <laughs> don't don't embarrass yourself with the wrong questions. Get planned it properly before you pop that question. Because the last thing you need is your DMs filled up with questions like, Awa, awa, awa. All that, we don't want that happening. <laughs> Wait, can I just share that? That's what I love about Malaysia. People, People in Malaysia can put a two sentence full of information into just one word. How or how. <laughs> I think that's amazing. Truncated. We take pride in that. Let's get to the point, people. Yeah. All right. So how what do we do after this? No, I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> Reja, thank you so much, Reja. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. And I wish you all the best. And hopefully you find the perfect, perfect video or the entry for your contest. Hopefully it's mine and I uh, just got to figure out how to work through the whole thing. <laughs> All right. awesome. Thank you, Bridget. Thank, Thank you very you so much. much.